welcome to this Sunday morning meeting podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. Today's message is by Paul Abel. Hallelujah. Holy is the Lord indeed. Evermore our worship just seems with the pre- filled with the presence of God, doesn't it? I'm still trembling. Did you hear the angels? I haven't heard them like that for a long time. You may not have heard them. They were, they were in, with the, in with the worship team. It was the angels that are in heaven that are singing with all those who've gone before us. And we will join them. Because we know that's where we're going. We are but temporarily here. A little longer. Hallelujah. When we were celebrating Jean's life, we sung a hymn that's popular all over the world, Amazing Grace. When we were with Peter preparing for Jean's funeral, sorry, Anne's funeral, Um, I will try and make sense. That was a bit powerful. One of the songs he said that he liked to be sung, that Anne would have liked to be sung, was Amazing Grace. And it was making me think about that whole hymn. Because just those first two words, Amazing Grace... Grace is only really amazing if you start to appreciate how awesome God is. Because a lot of the time, I think we kind of expect God to do his God stuff. And there is a time and a place, especially in prayer, when you're that confident child of God before the Father declaring the truth. I'm not taking that away at all. Amazing grace. I think there was a sense of it beginning to happen in that last part of our worship this morning because truly if we really start to have a revelation, because that's the only way it can come, we can't work it up ourselves. We'll get ourselves in a right mess if we try to do that. But a revelation of his holiness which reveals his amazing grace, because when we have a revelation of his holiness, actually, one of the first things that can take hold is fear, because he is so holy, so apart, so different. And that's why his grace is amazing, that he still reaches to us. Sometimes you get people who want others to kind of worship them and acknowledge how brilliant and amazing they are. And it looks horrible. That kind of, you know, I'm the best here type attitude. And it's difficult because it grates. Because you know, none of us are. But God is. 
You can tell God is holy and wonderful and great, the greatest and the best from here to eternity. Well, we will. And it won't great because it will be true. And I believe God is taking us as we move forward in what he has for us, that sense of holiness, but also that godly fear. Now remember, perfect love casts out fear. I spoke on that very recently. So what's going on and what's right in this? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. know it very well. That saved a wretch like me. What's a wretch? There's that famous or infamous little story, you can just picture it, can't you, of a very nice family all singing Amazing Grace in church and like a small girl tugging at her mummy's sleeve going, Mummy, what's a wretch? <laughs> what is a wretch? John Newton that wrote that hymn, in 1772, yeah, that long ago. It was published in 1779, so it's his 240th, is it, anniversary? 89, 99, uh, yeah. <laughs> he knew what it was to be a wretch. But that's why he also knew the amazing grace, because a wretch is a miserable, despicable person. Sometimes it can be just miserable. Sometimes it can be just despicable. It depends how the word's used. It's one of those words. But here in this hymn, he definitely means despicable. Are you happy singing that saved a despicable person like me? Because so often, there's, and I'm one of them, and it's, it's, we need to do it. There's so much affirmation because there's so many hurt and damaged people in the world we can forget that without Jesus, the state that we're in is that of a wretch. We have no hope. And a destiny that is without God forever. It truly is wretched. Sometimes you can get saved thinking, and I do mean saved, that you're thinking that you're a pretty nice person, but you better confess a few sins because that's what you're supposed to do. And then the more you go on with God, the more he can show. Actually, apart from me, you can do nothing. But when you get that apart from me, you can do nothing, it doesn't leave you feeling wretched because you're wretched without that. When you realize that apart from me, apart from God, you can do nothing, it's actually a wonderful step of freedom. Because you realize everyone's in the same boat. See, most people have a tendency to feel they're the most useless person on the planet, deep inside somewhere. Some people have had things happen to them that even help them feel like that. But it doesn't matter, because everyone's in that. And Jesus picks you up and places you next to him because of that cross we celebrated at Easter. That's the amazing grace that despite us being wretches, God acts and does. I mean, his mercy wipes clean everything we've ever done or not done. 
But it's grace that enables us to step into the fullness of what he has for us. We couldn't come near God unless God did something. He's so holy, it would be like us trying to walk up to the sun. We would just be burnt up in the glory of our sun in our solar system. And if we tried to approach God without the blood of Christ, we would be burnt in the holiness of it. It's just that would be the nature of his perfection. And because he loves people so much, he sent his son to die so that we could be reunited to him and not destroyed in his presence. And we walk in this constant dichotomy of, I'm his child, I can rush and sit on his lap, he's my perfect father, to, oh my God, as it should be. I mean, when people write OMG or say, oh my God, if they only really knew what they were saying, they're right. But there's a far bigger, oh my God, when we actually see him. God's going to do that more and more here, but also in our lives. Oh my God. Literally, oh my God. You're going to have moments of just floods of tears. You say, well, that doesn't sound good. No, but it will be just because you'll be so overwhelmed by his grace and his love for you that despite being a wretch that you were in Christ, you're now precious and a treasure. And God loves all of creation. But our status before him is that of a wretch. I mean, John Newton knew it very well. You probably know his story. Many people do. He was... um, well, he was, he was living a pretty rough life anyway. His mother died when he was six years old, and it went downhill from there. Uh, he didn't get on with his father. He got press-ganged into the Royal Navy. His behavior amongst the sailors was so bad, even sailors considered his language terrible. Can you imagine that? They thought he was gone too far. It was said of him that when he ran out of swear words, he'd try and make up even more vulgar vulgarities there on the spot to try and shock his fellow sailors. He rejected God completely as a teenager, completely and utterly, said he would have nothing to do with him. And then the Navy, he was so bad in the Navy, they were delighted to get rid of him, literally, by him being promoted to position on a slave ship. So he was sailing on slave ships, taking people from Africa to the Americas mostly, or also here. So he knew he was a wretch. But he's no different to us. The difference between, it would be like, because we can feel better than others sometimes, because we know we do, you know, do a little bit more sort of thing, so I'm better than them, but I'm not as good as them. It's all irrelevant before God. Because if we're doing anything because we're trying to be good anyway, we're probably, in one sense, we're wasting our time. Because we can do nothing apart from Him. Nothing that will have an eternal fruit. Obviously, there are good things in the world, like love and kindness, but for things to bear fruit... It's doing it in Christ. 
But that's the great thing. It's in Christ, so we all can. Because it's him, not us. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Does it sound... When you say amazing grace, do you, do, does it sound sweet? Does it sound... Oh, it's amazing. If you look at some of the other hymns he wrote, he had such a revelation of forgiveness and acceptance. John Newton. And later he, he became a clergyman. His mother who I said died when he was six, used to pray that he would become a minister. He became an Anglican, Church of England minister. Um, John Wesley encouraged him to become a minister. (laughs) And he wrote this hymn uh, as the vicar of his church because... He wanted something special for a New Year's Day service and he was going to speak on grace. So it was really just written for one church congregation. (laughs) Basically what God can do with something. I mean, we don't know what tune he would have used. There's more than 20 tunes. We all know the amazing grace, that one. That apparently is the tune called New Britain. Who knew? I didn't until this morning. But he may, they may have just chanted it, which was quite the fashion. But it was written with the meter of the popular hymns of the time, so it probably was designed to be sung from the very beginning. He had a bit of trouble becoming a minister because the first bishop didn't approve of him because of his association with Methodists. And, and he was a bit of an ev- evangelical <laughs> Can't have any of them. (laughs) But God had his way. And I like the fact that you see his mother's prayers being answered years after she died. Our prayers will be answered years after we've died as well. Some things we don't say, where's the answer to that? It will be there. It will be there. We may or may not see it, or we might not see how, but we will see it. He joined up with William Wilberforce, did you know that? To campaign for the end of slavery. And the year in which the act, uh, the Slave Trade Act, was published in 1807 was the year he died. So he saw through. That's redemption. That's amazing grace. It must have been hard, mustn't it, sometimes, to be, would would, would you have coped with knowing that you've done something so evil? That's what he'd done. And then you're campaigning to stop it. I mean, the cries of hypocrite must have been huge. But he knew it was grace that can turn any life around completely. Any life. That's why we're here right now. It's for such a time as this. To see lives completely and utterly changed by the grace of God intervening in situations. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. That describes so many people around us. Now, here's two lines. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. I mean, we sing it a lot, but 
you, it, it must be confusing if you don't know what's going on. I mean, it, it's, the two lines are in apparent contradiction to one another, aren't they? It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my, and grace my fears relieved. How can both be true? Because grace teaches us, and I believe that's what God will do with us and is doing amongst us. Even through all the circumstances, although not even through, as we go through everything that we seem to go through, grace will teach us to fear him because of how holy he is. See, our natural response very natural, very normal, no judgment upon anybody, is to cry out, why? But really, who are we to ask? When you think how holy he is. And we want to know the answers. Do you think if we could understand the answers, God would just tell us, so if we don't understand, it's because we don't yet know how to understand. If you think of a mind, a person like God, who can relate to, comprehend, be intimately with every single person alive and every single person who's ever existed, when you get an understanding like that, you'll understand. That's not to say God cannot give us some understanding, and he does. But often that understanding isn't what we expected. Grace teaches us to fear God. That awe, that reverence. But when was the last time you walked in on a, uh, for a Sunday morning just a little bit trembling that God might turn up because of how fearful he can be? That fear of stepping away from his plan, that fear of displeasing him, that fear of being arrogantly expecting God rather than being in faith. Do you know what I mean? Not a fear that disables, but a fear that enables because it's just, oh my God. Oh my God. You do end up with no words, and you often end up on your face if it's in a time of worship. But, oh, my God. Imagine if we had that. Because I don't, don't think we have that. Because even just talking about it now, we'd probably just all be on our faces. Oh, my God. Are you willing this morning to say to God, teach me to fear you? Because we, we, I know, I talk about love and acceptance, and it's not often I talk about this one, but it's biblical. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. In a book I was reading, uh, that book that I was quoting from before, Fear of the Other, William Willimon talks of a discussion he was having with a friend of his. So they were both college professors, I think, and... Uh, the guy was smoking as he, as he was usually smoking. And he said, I said to him, don't you fear you'll get cancer? And the guy said to him, 
I don't let any bunch of stupid statistics cause me to fear living my life how I want to. And his sad rejoinder was that his friend died a statistic of emphysemia related to smoking. That's not a good example of fear, but the fear of that is a good thing to stop you. I mean, truly, it's a fear of, I'm destroying, I'm polluting, I'm killing myself, my body, that God has given me to live out my purpose in this life. That's where it really comes from. I mean, that's not just smoking, that's drinking too much, that's taking drugs, that's anything, isn't it? It's like, I don't want to destroy what God has given. I don't want to shorten the time that God has given me by my foolish behavior, because I don't want to get to heaven and God says, well, you were supposed to be down there another 10 years. Or whatever. I don't think God will actually do that, but you know what I mean. The fear of God, the respect of God, where we don't get involved in doing stuff because it's just, oh my God. We sin because we don't fear God, you see. Because we like what we get from the sin more than we like God. Or love God. It doesn't matter if my language is a little bit vulgar now and then. It doesn't matter really. You know, it's, my language is pretty good to compare to everybody else in the, in the office, in the factory, in the school. So it really doesn't matter if I let out a few, oh my God. This is not a, a talk to make us walk around feeling afraid. It's, it's just saying, this is our God. This is happening in the world. This is happening in the world. This is falling apart. We're going to Brexit. We're going to remain. We're going to have Jeremy Corbyn as Prime Minister. We're going to have Theresa May on an extended Prime Minister. We're going to stay in Europe for three more years. We're going to stay in Europe for three more days. We don't know. Oh, my God. You're in charge. There's so much uncertainty. Oh, my God, you're in charge. I failed my exam. I haven't got enough money for this. I'm really not very well at the moment. This has happened. This was terrible. Oh, my God. You see, when these things happen, our only response to go through them is going to be, oh, I'll ship you, because there isn't anything else. Yeah. Do you really want to go through it without him? Why is this happening, God? You're not telling me, but I'm going to worship you anyway. I, I, you'll take me through. Maybe one day we'll understand everything, maybe one day we won't, but I do know we will be content. I'm very happy. Seems amazing. It is. It's grace. And grace, my fear is relieved because he relieves us from the fear of everything else. You see, whatever we do, whoever we are, every single one of us in this room, to one extent or not, what we do, we do because of fear. You know, say I came to some of you just right now, two minutes' time, and just say, could you just come and speak for ten minutes? 
Many of you would say, I can't. I'm too, I, it'd be fear. Of course you could. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Everything that he's called you to do. You, uh, we're assuming I've heard God right. But anything that we do, we can often avoid God, we often avoid God's best through fear. Or we are too afraid to love. Because perfect love casts out fear. But love does a very good impersonation of doing the opposite way around with fear. Fear tries to chase out love. And many times it stops us connecting with others. That's one of the prime targets. Well, I, I didn't talk to them because they weren't friendly enough. But were you friendly? And did you sit there with that look on your face again? I haven't got enough friends. Then go and start making some. I'm too frightened. Well, then it's fear that's your enemy, not other people. It's going to have to talk with... It has to start with a response to someone. For some people, that's not an issue. They'll talk to all sorts of people. Anne Fuster over there, she has a gift of engaging with everybody on the planet, it feels like, at times. <laughs> she just does it. And I look there and think, that's a great gift. Can I have more of that myself, please, Lord? But actually, in every situation, we have to overcome. Remember that courage is not the absence of fear, but it's rather doing it anyway, or doing the right thing anyway. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed? Well, how about if that preciousness of that grace was like that every hour? And we had that sense of awe of being forgiven. That sense of amazement that Christ, Jesus Christ, God himself, would give up everything to come to earth, to live amongst the wretches, because he loved those wretches, because they are precious, despite the despicable, miserable state we can end up in and then die horribly by those very same, at the hands of those very same wretches. And anyone who's ever sinned, our hands were on the hammer, banging the nails in anyway. The Roman soldiers were just our representatives. We were all there. If you've sinned. If you haven't, I apologize. <laughs> Hallelujah. And then look at the next verse. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. It was grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. We'll come through many dangers and toils and snares, but we will come through them. The enemy will place many snares in our path. We'll probably even place a few ourselves. But we will come through them. And we will go home safely. As Ron has said to me a couple of times in this past week, Ron's brother died just recently as well, uh, brother Barry. And he said, in the midst of everything, the one thing I know is where I'm going. I'm going home. He says, it's like everything else can be thrown up in the air, but this I know. 
I'm going home. Well, we all have that. The whole thing may be thrown in the air. Everything that we thought of was going to happen. But this one thing remains. We're going home. We are no longer citizens of the United Kingdom or whichever nation you are from. We are citizens of heaven, subjects of the king, of kings. That's our true identity, sons of the king. And if any other identity comes over that, even a good one, I'm a mother, I'm a father, I'm English, it will ultimately take you away from God rather than towards him. I'm not saying you, you don't have those things, but they're all under my identity. Is I'm a son of the king, I'm a child of the king, I'm a daughter of God. So it's grace of her and grace will lead me home. There's a couple of verses, I'll just read them, that we don't normally read that, that John Newton wrote, uh, sing that John Newton wrote. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yet, when this, oh yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. And you realize in that verse, or even the next one really, the earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine. He's got such a sense of eternity and where he's going, that's why he can live in that grace. It's a wonderful leveller. Nobody is better than anybody else. Nobody is morally superior because it doesn't really exist in heaven. We're just called to live like Jesus and live in his grace. And if you think, well, I'm living better in, in better grace than so-and-so, then you're obviously not, because you're making it happen. You say, well, how does that work then? How can I just live by grace? Can I just go and do whatever I want? No, 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 no. God forbid, Paul says. It doesn't mean that at all. It means God will enable you to live as he's called you to live, not you go and live how you want. But it's him that will enable. So how do you get the enabling? Because that's pretty key, isn't it? We all want to be free from fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Well, I love God perfectly when I understand how holy he is. And in that holiness, there's this, wow, amazing grace. Oh, my God. He still loves me. He loves every moment and instant in my life. Oh, my God. It's revelation of who he is that causes you to live the right way. See, if, we, if you have something that you struggle with, let's take something silly like donut eating rather than something serious this morning. I'm always a little wary that when I pick something serious, I might accidentally look at a person that's really struggling with it, which I suppose could be good because it could be God, but there we go. Anyway, donut eating, which could be someone's particular problem and issue in battle, I suppose, because you don't want to eat too many donuts because that will make you overweight, and if you're overweight, that's not good either. That's like smoking, etc. <sighs> you cannot win. So, <laughs> if your problem is eating donuts, 
big sugary lovely ones with jam in the middle. Just doing the devil's job for him, tempting you all. Um, and you have one, and then you have another, and you actually bought six, so you finished them before lunchtime. That's not godly behavior. You, you'll, you'll think yourself morally superior to the Christian who's smoking, of course, because smoking's far badder. Except that it isn't, really. Anyway, back to donuts. How do you stop eating those donuts? You could say, well, don't walk past the donut shop. Yeah, that's true. That's a good strategy. That's avoidance. You could say, throw them away. Yep. Although if you're really desperate for donuts, you might dig them back out again. Give them to somebody else. Lead them into sin. Yep. Um, ultimately, the only way you're going to be free of overindulging in donuts in your life is looking at Jesus. Oh, my God. We can have those other things in place. We'd be silly not to. Particularly if our tempting sin is illegal, you'd be pretty stupid to just go around doing illegal things until God gives you the vision and revelation, wouldn't you? So, of course, there's self-discipline. But the ultimate self-discipline in overcoming sin is worship. Worship of Jesus and who he is, but also worship in everything we do. It's following out. It's following his commands. I want to finish. I want to just do two things before we do that. Because the problem with fear, which is what stops us walking so much in what God has for us, is that we fear the other more than we fear the God who commands us. And what does he command us? Love each other. Truly, if we feared God, we would have no problem relating to anybody because it's his command. Isn't it? I always know that you know, if the reason I don't talk to people is, is fear. It's a minor fear, I suppose. It's just a fear of embarrassment. Um, you know, it's that overcoming self-reluctance to go and talk to somebody you don't know very well or somebody you don't know at all. What will they think of me? All those fears are overcome when you, oh my God, love each other. I'm not talking about just feelings. I'm talking about love in action. Because then when you think about it, it gets worse, more scary. <laughs> because Jesus didn't just say love one another. He said love your neighbor and love your enemies. I don't know about you. I think about that and it's beyond me. Is it beyond you? Love my enemies, people that hate me. I've got to love them. You see, it's not just forgiving them because it's not saying I forgive them because their sin is irrelevant. It is relevant. It does matter. And sometimes people try to create peace by making everything the same. It's a very modern, humanist approach. Everybody. So you'll, see, you'll hear talks about, well, we can get the Jews, the Christians, and the Muslims together because they all worship the same God and... They all have Abraham in their face. So they're just 
Abrahamic faiths, and by a redefinition of what we are and who we are, suddenly we're all the same. So you deny the Muslim and you deny the Jew and you deny the Christian what to them is a very important part of their identity. But you sort of, you deny all that just to say you're all the same. But we're not the same. The only way we'll be able to work successfully with people of other faiths, and I think we should do because that's what being light and loving others is about, is you accept them for being different. You don't immediately try and change them. Then you say, if you're immediately trying to change somebody, you're saying, I don't accept what you are right now. Jesus didn't immediately try and change people. He came, he walked amongst them, he talked with them, he let people sit at his feet, he let a woman wash his feet with her hair. He sat in a room with Pharisees that were venomous towards him. And only every now and then, and then he is God, would he have exactly the right word at exactly the right moment? Because it does come. But you look at the number of times there's engagement before he says to Nicodemus, well, you need to be born again. He totally accepted him coming in the middle of the night, too scared to be seen by anybody. You think God would say, look, I am God. You could at least have the decency to come at a convenient hour in the middle of the day and acknowledge before all those other guys who you're coming to see. Instead, you snuck round here to see me. Well, if you think I'm going to see you after you snuck round too scared that anybody else is going to see you, think again on your ear, son. He didn't say that, you'll be surprised to know. He sat down and talked with him. And then there was a key moment. Well, Nicodemus, you must be born again. He's so clueless, he says, what? I've got to come out of my mother's womb again? But it was the moment. And since Nicodemus was involved after the death of Jesus, we know something happened. Yeah. Only love can overcome that fear of the other. Because we're commanded to, so we know we can. We can't, but in Christ we can. But it's too much. Well, how do we change? Well, we get our lives focused on him. We worship him. We worship him like we were this morning, but we worship him with the way we live our lives. We're putting him first in everything, and we're not just struggling. I must love that nasty person. That's going to be really difficult. We let God change us, but we give him permission to change us. We give him permission to take us through the dangers, the toils and the snares, and yet, We'll still worship him. Oh, my God. And love your neighbor. Not just love the worthy ones, by the way. The ones that need some love because they're, you know, having a bad time. No, it's just love them. Not just the ones you can get on with. All nationalities. All ethnicities. You're going to love them even if they vote Conservative or if they vote Labour or Liberal Democrat or Brexit Party. You're going to love them. I know. You're going to love the rich ones and you're going to love the poor ones. You're going to love the homophobic ones and you're going to love those who are from the LGBTQI community, as we sometimes call it. You're going to love the Christophobic ones. You're going to love the transphobic ones. You're going to love the bigoted ones. It's too much. 
Oh my God. Changes. See, this is why grace is amazing. And this is, I hope, where I believe God was leading us to this morning. To lead us to a point of, <laughs> it's too much. I hope, by the grace, and it will be grace, that nearly everybody in the room right now is thinking, this is too much. Because it's supposed to be. But it helps us see the gap between who we should really be. It's so easy to think we're doing all right. And we are. But the gap between us and our Father, who is holy, who we will worship him, you are holy, is just so enormous. And yet, he stepped over it to take us back with him. We can do it. We will do it. We are doing it. It's an adventurous journey full of many surprises, I'm sure. But it will happen. We know that God has spoken of this being a church of 2,000 people. Well, I look around this morning and I see a lot of empty seats, although some of them were filled by teenagers and children and helpers. But there should be more seats out on all four, shouldn't there? But I believe we have a strong vision to see people's lives transform, not join a church. I don't want to grow a big church, do you? I don't want a normal church of 2,000 people who have a great time on a Sunday. That's been done. God's called us to be a community of people who are seeing lives transformed. And it's too much. <laughs> He's so beyond us. That's okay. It's not beyond him. We should be feeling just a little bit overwhelmed, perhaps, this morning. Feeling that next week I might go to Ebenezer. <laughs> Not that I've got anything against Ebenezer at all, but I'm just being daft. SCF. No, 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 no. St. Martin's. No. This is too much apart from Christ. But I look around this room and I see people who are filled with God's furious love. Furious in the sense of a fury of a burning passion, that fire, that heat, that energy. It's not a wimpy, as I would say, Sally, many years ago, a wimpy, weak, lettuce leaf kind of love. That's just for Sally, that one. I'm talking to the children. Growing out their shoulders, I seem to remember. It's not that kind of love. It's a furious, passionate, almost uncontrollable. Uncontrollable to us, not uncontrollable to God. Although it did cause him to come and die on a cross. Passionate, driven love for us and for himself. Let's finish. One last bit of reading. For Christ's love compels us. For we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we will regard no one from a worldly point of view. 
though we once even regarded Christ in this way, we won't do it any longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of amazing grace. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of amazing grace, of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers then, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Don't receive God's grace so that you can continue to live your life. Receive God's grace so that you can continue to live his life in you. Others' lives are changed by our faces, not by our backs. We have to approach. Shall we pray? Father, you are holy. Holy is your name. Holy is your name, Father. Father, I thank you for what you were doing in the worship and how it led so seamlessly into what we were, what I was going to speak on this morning, Father, that you are giving us this revelation of how holy you are, of your amazing grace. Uh, oh my God, revelation, a respectful, reverent awe that is the fear of God, that healthy fear of God, not something that makes us scared and withdraw, but just causes us to live passionately for you. That, Father, we would experience both here together as we gather as the community, but also in our lives, that sense of your presence, both for those times when we sit in your lap and you just kiss us, but also those times when we're on our faces before you because you are so holy, so awesome. And there's such a sense of the fear of God in this place, Father, that we won't dare move. We would fall on our faces before you because of your presence. Just spend a minute or so giving God permission for him to show you a revelation of what it is to have the fear of God so that we can truly understand his holiness, so that we can understand even more his amazing grace and the ministry of reconciliation. Just take a minute or two surrendering to God.
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to grace my fears relieved how precious did that grace appear the hour I first toils and snares I have already come Twas grace that brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home when we've been there ten thousand years bright shining as the sun we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire.